this episode is brought to you by Sharp Objects on HBO. Critics hail the limited series as a true masterpiece and exquisite for your Emmy consideration in outstanding limited series and all other categories. Hi, and welcome to The Awardist, the podcast for Emmy voters, TV fans, and our families. I'm here. It's in studio. I'm so excited to be hey. here looking at Kristen Baldwin. Hi, Hi. Henry. It is so nice to see your it smiling face. It is so nice face. to see you as well. We never get to do this together. I know. This is a first. I know. It's usually over like a Skype and Skype, duct tape. Google and Hangout. <laughs> exactly. There's some paper clips it's the, involved. Yeah, totally. It's the electronic equivalent of like... Um, MacGyver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We MacGyver this podcast together every week. Yes. <laughs> Thanks to our wonderful producer Patrick but it's so nice to be here in person yes and unfortunately poor Lynette cannot call in today because she's got the flu she does have the flu unfortunately but so if you're looking for some sharp commentary on everybody loves Raymond or the Kaminsky method you may want to <laughs> tune back next week <laughs> or Big Bang Theory or Big Bang Theory honest. that's right um, but we're going to be talking um, this episode about best comedy and the shows that have been nominated in the past, a little bit of trivia here and there, and then our picks for um, the shows that sh- should be nominated this year. And Kristen, tell us about the great interview you have later on. I got to talk to the creators of one of our favorite new comedies of the year, the other two, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, who went from being head writers at SNL to creating this show on Comedy Central, which you and I both love. Just adore. And if you've you've not seen the show yet, you should actually put down this podcast and run and watch that show. Right now it's streaming for free on ComedyCentral.com. So like, go watch. Go watch it. And it's uh, Easy Binge. It's 10 episodes, a half hour piece. So much fun. And I will not spoil a thing here except to say that the show really pays off in the last episode. Yeah. That ending is great. It's such a great, uh, it's a comedy, but there's this real family element to it that is really moving and emotional. And it's laugh out loud funny, which like it actually is when most TV comedies want to be laugh out loud funny, but are not. We would be so psyched if this show squeezes in to get a nomination for Best Comedy this year. and. If you don't know who Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider are, um, as you were saying, they were head writers on SNL, and they wrote one of my favorite sketches ever on SNL. Which one? The song "Doing It in My Twin Bed." Yes, <laughs> so good. They yes. did. They did the Bajency. They did one of my favorite, the Halloween before and after. You know, the girls are going out for Halloween. Yes, I love that. And like that. in the beginning, everyone's happy, and then like they keep cutting to the, you know, flash forward to three in the morning, everyone's drunk and crying. Oh my God, so good, so um, good. But they're they're incredibly talented and also really young too. Like, yes, it's like makes you feel like a failure. It really does, Kristen. Yeah. We are failures. Yes, yes, we are. <laughs> I am loving your laptop because I'm it in person for the first time in a while and it has all sorts of 90210 paraphernalia all over it. Yeah, I've got the 90210 stickers original. Steve and Andrea mm-hmm. have one sticker. David and Donna have another and Dylan and Brandon oh, have another. It just hurts. Dylan. It still hurts. It hurts. I know. It's going to be so interesting to see how they address that in the revival. I know. Gosh, it's just it breaks my heart. Kristen, was 90210 ever nominated for an Emmy? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say no. With no. A, I don't know for sure, but I think at most, maybe it got like hairstyling. It sh- oh, it definitely should have gotten hairstyling. Right. For sure. Yeah. Except there were some rough hair years in there. <laughs> I mean, but they were in keeping with the times. Yes. Did they looked you, good at the time. Did you ever have 90210 hair? No, I didn't. But you know what I did have? Um, a couple of years ago, maybe five or six years ago, <laughs> Gap reissued like its 90s collection, including a pair of navy blue chinos that were actually worn by a character. I'm not sure which one on 90210. So yeah, I bought them. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I wear them. 
As you should. They're high waisted. <laughs> Are they mom jeans? They're mom They're chinos. basically mom chinos that I probably should wear with a crop top, but I just I just don't. Do you remember? I think the worst hair atrocity on 90210 was Claire's. Always. Yeah. Claire Who's was a beautiful always, woman. yeah, a beautiful woman, but like they styled her or she styled herself in some kind of weird she looked like a Bratz doll yeah she really life. did yeah. yeah it was not cute and she's a beautiful woman and they, yeah, she like, is. they did some horrible things to her hair but you know again at the time cutting edge I had sideburns <laughs> <laughs> did had like chops were they like mutton chops they were very Brandon inspired okay they yeah were yeah very br- did you ever do the poof oh, like God, yeah, yeah I yeah, went, I went as Brandon for one Halloween where are the pictures? Oh, God, I don't know. I wonder if my friend Angela has them. Um, Angela, <laughs> get on it. Yeah, I know, exactly. So, yeah, 90210. It was good times. Good times. Not a comedy, but we loved it. We love it anyway. So, yeah, we're here talking about the best comedy category. And, Kristen, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of this category, who's been nominated recently, who won last year, that type of stuff. So, last year it was a packed category. We had Atlanta, Barry, Blackish, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Glow, Silicon Valley, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which won. So looking at that category from last year, I didn't think Maisel was going to pull it out, yet it did. I was really thinking it was Atlanta's year. I know, because, you know, I believe Donald Glover won, and, you know, it was sort of universally praised. Um, and in a in a year where Veep wasn't eligible, finally something new could happen, because looking at the history of this category... <laughs> everyone about this category. It's uh, probably yes. the most static category in any it's award show. It's incredible, because in 2013, it was Modern Family. 2014, Modern Family and that was their fifth time in a row. 2015, 16, and 17 was Veep. And as you know, like, there are other shows like Frasier or whatever that just dominate in this category. And, you know, that's fine. They're If they're the best show, they're the best show. But at some point, you do start wondering, like, are the voters even looking at the new shows? Know, or do exactly. they just vote with... And this year, of course, Veep will be eligible. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, looking back at this category from 2007 to 2016, there were literally only three winners. It was 30 Rock, which had a long winning streak as yeah. well, deservedly so. Yeah. And then Modern Family and Veep. Yeah, it's crazy. And uh, Maisel was the first streaming comedy to win in this category. And that was huge. You know, that was a huge deal. And the first freshman comedy... <laughs> need to do it since Modern Family. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's a, it's a. If I had a dime for every time we're going to say Modern Family this episode, <laughs> we would be very wealthy. So the diversity in this category, we like to talk about that as well, is not awesome. No, um, there's no African American led comedy that won since The Cosby Show in 1985. Yeah, and Blackish obviously has been a perennial nominee recently, and Atlanta that's, has been a Atlanta, nominee. Atlanta, and yeah, so it's really, it's not like. I'm sure there have been plenty of years where there haven't been a lot of options because it's not like TV has been great about putting uh, minority-led comedies on TV. But there have definitely been options in the last few years, and it has not happened yet. On the flip side, um, women have been pretty well represented in this category, which is great. Female-led comedies have won six out of the last 11 years. And I'm talking about a lead that was just a female like Tina Fey on 30 Rock yeah. or Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And then the other five years were Modern Family, which does have a very diverse cast gender-wise. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, and wow, for every year since 2008... Except for one, Tina Fey has been vo- involved with the Best Comedy nominee, whether it's 30 Rock or Kimmy Schmidt. So, yeah, she's... Uh, she, yeah, she, she took a break in like 2014 yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, you know, I'm going to go on vacation. But yeah, pretty much everything she touches is, is gold, with the exception of Great News, which was really, really funny, but it, it did not succeed from a rating standpoint. Why couldn't I get into Great News? Is it something I should go back and watch? 
It might be something that uh, grows on you. It, it wasn't as goofy or as sort of silly as one of our other favorites, Trial and Error. Oh, which, God, I love Trial and Error. <laughs> so good. <laughs> All right, put down this podcast and watch Trial and Error. <laughs> exactly. If you can find it. I mean, some of it's streaming on Hulu, not enough. It was a little bit, I wanted it to either be a little sillier or a little more like 30 Rock. But once you, if you kept watching it, I mean, everyone involved was so good. It never really got the attention that uh, it deserved. And she was even on on the show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she uh, played a sort of man-eating uh, network executive at one point. She kind of played the Jack Donaghy yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who was sexually harassing uh, one of the male employees. So oh, nice. that's fun. Yeah, <laughs> nice. that's fun. So looking back over the history of this category, um, the most the shows with the most nominations are Cheers and MASH, um, followed with 11 apiece, followed by All in the Family. And Frasier and Modern Family um, both have the both number of wins at five. Uh, Kristen, so like when I when I see something like that, do you think Frasier and Modern Family are the best comedies of all time? No, I do not. I don't either. I think it's interesting because like there are definitely we're about to talk about snubs yeah. and there are definitely some really incredible shows that never won in this category or sometimes were never even nominated in this category. So it is strange. I mean, Frasier is a great show, certainly like top 10 comedy of all time, probably. Yeah. And Modern Family, also a great show. But like all in the family, you know, like where, uh, uh, cheers, Mary you know, Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. It's 30 rock. Yes. I think probably as the voting body continues to change, um, you can't like hold the Emmys as a whole accountable because it's, you know, different people voting over time. But yeah, it's really, it's not, it doesn't make a ton of sense. So Kristen, I agree with you. Um, you know, what's interesting in talking to the millennials in our office, Frasier does not hold up well for them. And I can't tell you why, because I'll see a rerun and think it's fine. But like the few millennials that I've been talking to, like they don't get it. Do they not get it or do they find it, quote unquote, problematic in any way? Because you know how there's sort of the cyclical dust up that happens with Friends, which is a great show, but definitely had some problematic elements. Absolutely. But so did everything, you know? No, they just think it's a little boring and repetitive. Oh, I don't know how to, I don't. I don't. I don't know how to respond to that either. Yeah. I was talking to my friend's thirteen-year-old daughter, who's in the process of watching Friends for the first time, and she was so sweet about it. I was like, "So tell me, like, do you think the show holds? Um, does it look like it was filmed in the nineteen nineties? I mean, like, basically, it sounds yeah. like the eighteen hundreds to her, <laughs> or is it something that feels modern?" And she's like, and she had the best answer. She's like. Well, you know, some of the cell phones look really old and stuff like that, but they treat women really well. So I think it holds up. I think it feels modern. Oh, and I loved so that. Sweet. Yeah. On and the other hand, the gay panic jokes are so offensive and problematic. Yeah. You know, and I think uh, there, I mean, that whole storyline with Chandler and his father and his father being yeah. played by Kathleen Turner, like, it's a thing. Um, but, you know, I find it hard to, like, I don't think, you know, cancellation culture has to come after something like that when uh, obviously it was a different time. And now you can have conversations about it and be like, yes, these jokes are no longer appropriate. And, the, you know, they never were appropriate, but here's why. Like, I don't know. I don't feel like the writers of Friends had malicious intent. No, of course not. Now, your son is not quite of 12 or 13 yet. Would you allow him to watch Friends at what age? 
Probably, I mean, he's nine. I would give it a few more years because it is, you know, there's a lot of sort of innuendo. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> he he's watched The Simpsons many times and he loves it. And, you know, generally that stuff goes over his head. But there was a time that we were in a, a diner as a family and he had recently watched The Simpsons. And just out of the blue, he said quite loudly, what's a sex offender? <laughs> Oh my god. And it's because Mo had said made some offhand comment about having to register as a sex offender. And yeah, it was it was it Oh, that was, must have been a fun conversation. <laughs> it was real fun. It was real fun. I was like, um, it's it's a type of criminal. What do they do? Um, you know, they just they break the law. What do they do? And yeah, we had to like distract him with something oh, shiny. No. So yeah. I thought you were gonna tell the story and he was gonna say since you were in a diner, like somebody calling, being like, um, "Is there a man to hug and kiss?" A man <laughs> to hug and kiss exactly. Here? I need a huge ass. Is there a huge <laughs> ass here? No, he loves that stuff. But like, yeah, they will occasionally drop uh, some some stuff in there that does not go. You know, he registers it but does not understand it. Yeah. So, so I'm going to wait a little while on Friends. Is the long answer there? So you are going to play the role of Lynette today and talk about some of the snubs in this category. Yes, absolutely. Um, and this was a list compiled by Lynette. So you know that the Big Bang Theory is on the list. It actually has been nominated three times in this category, but never won. Uh, I don't know if this final season will be its uh, lucky charm. I'm guessing not. This is what boggles my mind. Roseanne was never nominated in this category. Yeah, It was nominated, you know, it has four wins. It has 27 nominations in other categories, probably more in technical categories, but like never nominated for a comedy series, which seems crazy. Seems insane. And I wonder, like, was there something about, like, people just didn't like Roseanne as a person? Well, think about the national anthem thing. Yeah. Like, and that, and that happened, was peak. It was peak Roseanne. And, like, there was such backlash against what she did. And yeah. I imagine Emmy voters registered that. Yeah. And, they're, you know, they would reward the, the other actors in the ensemble and stuff. But, yeah. Freaks and Geeks was never nominated in this category. It did win for casting and was nominated for writing. Uh, the Andy Griffith Show was nominated once for Outstanding Comedy Series in 1967. But guess what it lost to? What? The Monkees. No. Yes. That can't be. It's true. <laughs> And, like, I love the monkeys, but what? Maybe for one of these shows, we should go back through every winner in Best Comedy and Best Drama and, like, re-give the Emmy. Yeah. <laughs> like, sort of just uh, right the wrongs. Exactly. Uh, the, you know, Don Knotts won five times, yeah. but the show itself did not. Um, the Simpsons has won an animated program before, but it's never gone up against uh, live action, which I think of any animated show, it definitely would have For a chance, sure. certainly in its uh, in its prime. Parks and Recreation was nominated twice in this category, but never won. And as we discussed, Big Bang Theory. So pour one out for Big Bang Theory on behalf of Lynette. Absolutely. We'll pour some NyQuil. <laughs> I know. Uh, I hope she's napping right now. I hope so, too. All right, Kristen, tell us about the Emmy that they should give. Okay. So uh, I was looking at the comedy nominees and I was, you know, thinking about it. And I decided every year the Television Academy honors the best in comedy and the best in drama. But where is the recognition for all those dramatic shows that create truly comedic moments by accident? So I would like them to create this Emmy, Outstanding Use of Unintentional Hilarity in a Show That's Supposed to Be Serious. So some nominees this year could include Rise, NBC short-lived drama told the story of a fame-like high school. And the most laughable part of Rise is the idea that students would be inspired by this corny, overly earnest English teacher named Mr. Mizzou when re in reality they'd just want to stuff him in a locker, right? <laughs> 
So uh, another nominee could be Deception. This was an ABC drama about a magician who solves crimes. And Those uh, promos were so confusing. By the way, he also has a twin brother in jail. So the whole show was hilarious unintentionally. Uh, the Village. And this was an NBC drama. It's already been canceled, but it deserves an Emmy in this unintentionally hilarious uh, category because of the premise, which uh, included the idea that people in a Brooklyn apartment building would willingly talk to their neighbors. Yes, and we have both lived in Brooklyn yeah, at some times, no, and no, no, you don't talk to your neighbors. Mm -mm. Uh, House of Cards, the final season of the Netflix drama, could be nominated in this category, and eight-month-old spoiler alert if you haven't watched it yet, uh, because it could be nominated in this category for having Claire, who is at least 50, get pregnant using Francis's frozen sperm. So <laughs> I don't even know. And finally, A Million Little Things, ABC's This Is Us Like Emotional Mystery. Um, this could be nominated in the unintentional hilarity category for its assertion that a bunch of dudes trapped in a stalled elevator would bond over a deep conversation about the meaning of life rather than willfully ignoring each other and staring at their phones until the fire department came to rescue them. Those are all terrific nominees. Um, Kristen, I may have to pick a winner, which is Deception, because yes. that show, I would watch the promos and I'm like, wait, I... I'm like a I'm not the most intelligent person in the world, but like I get by in life. Right, right. And like I couldn't figure it out. Because because your brain was rebelling against the idea. Like you would see it and you're like, okay, magic cop. That makes no sense. There's no way they could possibly make a show about a magician who solved crimes, but they did. Yeah. And it was a, it was a disaster. It looked like a disaster. So, I never even watched an episode. No. So, um anyway, just something for the academy to think about. Okay, so back to the real awards, Kristen. Um, I'm going to give you some. I'm going to quiz you on some Ooh, trivia. Okay. All right. Here, first question: Love Boat was the first hour-long program to be nominated in a, for a Best Comedy Emmy. I'm going to say false because I feel like there were like the Phil Silver Show or things like that that were oh, maybe a, an hour long. Um, it's false. Um, I didn't go back and look at the Phil Silver Show. That's a good question. But I, Ally McBeal in Most Recent Memory. That's a good point too. Was the first, and I feel like it wasn't like Desperate Housewives at one point. Like I feel like there there's several yes. shows that definitely hopped around. Alan McBeal was definitely the first. Yeah, and first one though. That's a good one. Orange is the New Black hopped around too. All right. So speaking of the word love, four shows with the word love in the title have been nominated. Mm -hmm. What are they? Love American Style. Yes. Um. You can definitely get three of them. I can. Yeah. And the Love Boat isn't one of them. No. Wait, we're talking about comedy. Comedy. Yep. Love Sydney? Yes. That's the one I didn't think you were going to get. Oh my god, that's like literally the only other one I can remember. Oh my god. Okay, you're going to feel you're going to feel ridiculous yeah. when I name the other two. Go for it. I love Lucy. Ah! And everybody loves Raymond. Oh my god. That's <laughs> loves. Come on. Um I want so Love Sydney like was the one I had forgotten about and yeah. so it aired from 1981 to 83 on NBC and Tony Randall played the first gay character on TV who was a closeted gay man and so tortured about it and um like, like it, like can contemplate suicide at one point. It's ridiculous. Wasn't um, Billy Crystal before that though on soap? No, but he I'm, was out. Oh wait, Billy, you're right. So, but that show was not just about Billy Crystal. Yeah. So this certainly seems like the first show that, that like was, had, had a, a central gay character. character. Yeah. That, yeah, that's amazing. I, I I remember liking that show. So I already spoiled the next question, which was what's the first hour long show to be nominated and win an Emmy, which was Ally McBeal in oh my 1999. Gosh, nuts. Okay, true or false? Mork and Mindy was nominated for an Emmy. True. Wow. Yes. 
I can't quite get there. I know. Wasn't Jonathan Winters nominated too for playing like the giant baby? Oh, that's right. I forgot the giant baby. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of, I mean, generally speaking, like use your common sense and then do the opposite when Mm -hmm. you're talking about Emmy nominations. Okay. Final question. What comedy won an Emmy in 1979, the year that Mork and Mindy was nominated? Was it Taxi, All in the Family, Barney Miller, MASH, or Mork and Mindy? Barney Miller? Good guess, but it was Taxi. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking we talked about All in the Family getting nominated yeah. a bunch of times, but not having as many wins as some of the others. Um, okay, Taxi, I can live with. I can live with Taxi, too. I can too. live with Taxi. If we were re-giving the Emmy in 1970, it was the last year in All in the Family, which wasn't a great right, season. Right. It, MASH was getting long in the tooth. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Taxi was a good show. Yeah, well, well we support that 1970. Thank you, 1979 Emmy voters. <laughs> we support you. <laughs> Up next, we're going to be talking about which shows we'd like to see nominated for this year's Emmy and Best Comedy, so stay tuned for that. This episode is brought to you by Sharp Objects on HBO. The limited series was hailed by critics as exquisite, hauntingly compelling, and a true masterpiece. For your Emmy consideration and outstanding limited series in all other categories, visit hbo.com slash FYC for more information on Sharp Objects. Hi, and welcome back to The Awardist. I'm Henry. I'm here with Kristen, and we are talking about the best comedy Emmy category. And Kristen, it's time for our draft. Now, Lynette, unfortunately, is MIA because she's feeling ill. Yes. Do we need to, like, pick the Big Bang Theory or the Kaminsky Method on her behalf, or are we just going rogue? I mean, I think the Kaminsky Method probably will be nominated. So, like, I feel like as a... It's a decent choice, and we're doing it, you know, in solidarity with her as she stays at home with the flu. Okay, so you and I will each pick three. Sure. And we'll have the Kaminsky method as our seventh. <laughs> okay, works for me. Works Do you want to go? You want to go first? Sure. You got to start with Veep. Yes. Uh, it's the final season, and it's a perennial favorite, and it was really, really a good season. Um, it went out on a high, and I just don't see how it doesn't get nominated. And I think it's a, you know, really good chance of winning too. Did you rewatch all of Veep before the final? No, season? I wish I did. It was really the. I'm so happy I did that. Yeah. Um, it's, it was a pretty easy binge because there are only eight or eight or ten episodes yeah. a season. I actually sort of skipped over the first season because I didn't think it was as strong. And but there's so many jokes that paid off at the end. Yes. I had forgotten how funny Mina the. Finnish oh, Prime Minister. Oh, I love her so much. Um, that now has a different job. Yeah. Oh, my God. In the trivia you compiled for this episode, you know, Veep didn't start winning until its fourth season. Yeah. So it definitely, like, uh, took a while. But I I think at some point I will go back and do a whole rewatch just because, yeah, there are so many, like, inside jokes that just build and build and build. What did you think of the finale? I liked it. It wasn't, like... I, it was strong, and there were some, definitely some funny moments um, in the callback to, like... <laughs> Tom Hanks, yes. you know, like that was good. You know, I think I think it did a really good job. Um, it wasn't like there was so much really incredibly brutal humor during this season that made me really laugh out loud. I think this one was more, you know, it, the the finale was a little bit more about like wrapping things up. But I thought it did a nice job. Aside from Six Feet Under, I do not like the trope of a fast forward in a finale. Really? Yeah, I find like. 
I definitely want closure, but yeah. I find it, I don't know, I, find not, I don't want to say lazy, but lazy. Like, it's like, right. we don't need to know everything. We just need to know enough. And, you know, it, it can so often go wrong with the old age makeup. Oh, my God, yes. I, I didn't think this old age makeup was terrible, um, but I, I get that, you know. Six Feet Under, on the other hand, did it brilliantly. Perfectly, yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's it can be a risk for sure. I was fine with, with this. Um, and also, like, I do think people need to, like, calm down about series finales because you can't always it's hard to it's not going to please everyone and if it tries it's going to fail yes agreed but on the other hand if you invest seven years in a show and like countless hours you want it to pay off like it's just a is payoff this, for is, your time is this a, a it's a dig it lost oh lost or a game of thrones <laughs> yes. or game of thrones yeah i get that yeah but you're right compared to the game of thrones finale veep was a masterpiece yes so uh veep is my number one pick great my number one pick is dead to me yes. um, which we've talked about on previous episodes um christina applegate is doing the work of her career yes like i and I don't mean this as a dig. It's going to sound like a dig. I never really thought twice about her as an actress. Right. Like, enjoyed her when she was there, mm-hmm. didn't miss her when she wasn't. This is so compelling. If you haven't heard of it, it's a show on Netflix. It's 10 episodes. It's a half-hour piece. She plays a woman who meets this other woman in a grief group after she loses her husband and what unfolds from there. It's it's funny. It's sad. There's so many twists that you're, like, yeah. screaming. It's amazing. And I really think it's going to sneak into this category this year, and I really hope so. Yeah, I mean, I thought she was fantastic. I didn't love the show overall as much. I thought it relied too much on the mystery. But I do think that there's a lot of momentum for it. And she, for sure, like, based on her performance alone, it almost deserves a nomination in this category. Yeah. For um, sure. I thought she was incredible. What is your next pick? All right, my next pick is going to be Fleabag, oh, um, God, yeah. season two, which, uh, you know, season one was two years ago, and it became, you know, it was huge in the UK, and it slowly got uh, gained popularity here, and over the course of between 2017 and 2019, Phoebe, Phoebe Waller-Bridge became a huge star, and season two is like six episodes, a perfect ending, talk about nailing the landing in terms of a uh, uh, series finale, which she has said uh, it will be, and uh, I think there's there's... A really good chance that this will uh, get into this category for sure. So Twitter is talking about it for sure. I wonder if Emmy voters are going to like dig it up. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, she's big enough that like she will get their attention. But uh, it's a good question. It could be a little left of center for them. Yeah, um, it's it's terrific, and everyone's talking about it. And it's it's like six episodes. Right? Yeah, it's, it's so it's quick. Easy, six easy, easy binge. You know, Twenty-seven minute episodes or so. It's really a fast binge. All right, my um, second round draft pick is The Good Place, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed so much this season. And what I love about this show, every single episode is a reboot. Like, yeah. they just literally keep throwing, I've never seen a sitcom like this where they just keep throwing the playbook out every single episode. And you just go along for the ride. Um, Kristen Bell is amazing. The whole supporting cast is just outstanding. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see Ted Danson in a different love role. Him. Like I, It's just something that really gelled. I wish more people were watching it as it was coming out, but maybe they'll find it this summer. And I think it really deserves a place as best comedy. All right, my next pick is Mrs. Maisel. Amazon does a great Emmy campaign, and the um, second season was definitely, it was for me, it wasn't as strong as the first, but I did enjoy it. It still remains one of their marquee shows. Amy Sherman Palladino is somebody that uh, the voters like. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's a possibility. 
I think so. I think it's pretty much a lock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm torn, torn with my last pick between going with my heart or going with what Emmy voters are going to pick. And I'm going to pick a show that can bridge the two. I think Glow will um, sneak mm. into this category as it has the previous year. The second season to me, I think our um, friend and colleague Darren Ferrant disagrees with this, but the second season to me was so much stronger than the first season. I agree. You got to know the characters better. There were just deeper, um, deeper episodes. There was a lot of bottle episodes where you just went yeah. off and like you saw what the show looked like. The wrestling show that they produced yes. looked like on screen, which is sort of interesting. I love the work that Betty Gilpin is doing as she Debbie. She's so good. She's, yeah. she's the heart and soul All of the show. All the characters really, like you got deeper with them. Mark Maron's character, you know really became you know he's somebody that, that character is somebody that could be very one-dimensional like but he did like grow as a person and by the end he did feel like he needed you know Alison Bree's character to help him with the show and just admitting that is big so our list now is stunning because of what it omits yeah, and we're I gonna know. have to like we're, we're gonna, gonna have, have to, to like, yeah. so our list of seven is Kaminsky Method um as a nod to Lynette yes then Veep Dead to Me Fleabag Good Place Mrs. Maisel and glow. So we haven't even talked about Barry. We haven't even talked about Barry. We haven't talked about Russian Doll. No, we haven't talked about Russian Doll. We haven't talked about Blackish. Or Better Things, another yep. one that I think will get nominated. Crap. It's a tough, I think this may be the toughest category that we're talking about. Yeah, it is really hard. Okay, so I guess I would say I would take Fleabag out and put, although I think. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right. Um, I think Barry's going to sneak in here. Yeah, it is. So what do we get rid of? I don't know. Do we get rid of Glow? I don't want to get rid of Glow. Yeah, and I don't want to get rid of Fleabag. I mean, what did? Um, I'm not the biggest Barry fan. How did this season compare to the first one? It was actually really good. It um, definitely, you know, had some growing pains. As you know, that was a show that could have ended with season one quite perfectly, and not everything about season two worked. But there was so much good stuff, and um, really, uh, Bill Hader is giving a great performance. So I think there's and. Same with Henry Winkler, who won last year. So I do think it's got a really strong chance. All right. I'm sorry, Lynette. Um, I know you're sick, but we're taking out the Kaminsky method. Okay, and, let's take it out. And I think it's either Barry or Blackish. I feel like Blackish is going to get it. Yeah. Because, you know, and that's, it, it certainly deserves, deserves it. it. And um, so then we're taking out Kaminsky just yeah. because, okay. So okay. Blackish, Veep, Dead to Me, Fleabag, Good Place. Maisel and Glow, and I think with a caveat that either um, that Barry will probably replace either Fleabag or Glow. All right, who's your let me plead for? We talked about it a little at the top I know. of the show. Bring it on. <laughs> the other two on Comedy Central. I think this uh, this really surprised me. You know, it's a show about a 13 year old boy who uh, becomes a viral sensation overnight, and then you t- it tells the story from <laughs> the perspective of his older siblings who are in their 30s. Hence the other two. The other two. His sudden success as a viral singer named Chase Dreams sort of forces them to reevaluate their own lives, but it's also a really sweet family comedy. It's a family, uh, the mom is played by Molly Shannon, who's great, and they're dealing with a loss, and they're all dealing with the adjustment of being thrown into this spotlight when Chase Dreams is I want to marry you at recess becomes a hit and it is 
at once, you know, a very funny showbiz satire, but it's also a really sweet and moving family comedy, and there are these hilarious pop songs in it as well. It's terrific. As I've mentioned before, Will and Grace keeps delivering the laughs. I don't think it's going to sneak into this category, unfortunately, but these... I'm so happy it's been revived because these new episodes, especially the second season, are as good as Will and Grace in its prime. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second season was just stunningly astronomical to me. And then um, I've talked about Catastrophe before, and unfortunately it's going to suffer from being (laughs) the third Amazon show between Maisel and Fleabag. And I don't think it's going to sneak in. I wish it would. This fourth season was bittersweet and um, absolutely lovely, and the chemistry between the two leads just crackles. Yeah, it really is. And that's hard, you know, for Amazon, too, because they have to make an effort with all their shows. But like, they got to put the big bucks behind what they think is going to have a chance. And Maisel and probably Fleabag are their are their biggest guns. Well, up next, Kristen, we've got your conversation with Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, the executive producers and creators of the other two. So stay tuned for that. After leaving Saturday Night Live, where they were responsible for some of your favorite digital shorts, including Do It on My Twin Bed and The Bajancy, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider went on to create one of the best new comedies of 2019. Comedy Central's The Other Two is about two adult siblings who watch as their 13-year-old brother becomes a viral video sensation. It's an endearing family comedy that masquerades as a legitimately hilarious pop culture satire. Chris and Sarah, thanks so much for being here. Yes, thanks for having us. I love that the show is a very funny spoof of celebrity culture and the Hollywood industrial complex, but there's also this very sweet and moving story of a family that's dealing with loss and a difficult history. How did that idea evolve as you created the show itself? Well, I kind of think it's, it almost came first or at the same time as the fame element as we kind of wanted to tell a story about a family and about like two people who are kind of similar to me and Sarah. We just wanted to write about ourselves or versions of ourselves and our family and things we've been through in our life. And then we were like, let's just add fame on top of all of it and it'll make all that worse. So we always talk about like what, how, what this family would be going through if their little brother wasn't famous. They'd still be dealing with like the loss of their father, they'd still be dealing with issues of their sexuality and what they're going to do next in their lives. And then like, if you just add fame to it, it just makes everything crazier and worse and um, insane. So yeah, it kind of happened at the same time. You said before you wanted it to be a show about a family, but not a family show. What is the appeal of writing about a family for you guys? We knew we wanted those characters to be able to be honest with each other and blunt with each other and love each other unconditionally. And we think that that feels that gives the show this element of like heart in a way that we knew we wanted to infuse our show with something like that. So just making it about a family and putting them into the spotlight, like Chris was saying, you, we kind of wanted to make sure we knew and establish that our characters had each other's backs no matter what. So it didn't turn into this show of pettiness or jealousy. I mean, it is about some jealousy, but it's colored by the love that they have for each other. Um, it just felt like it would give us more layers to work with. And um, we knew we wanted to, to be able to, to have that at the core of um, the show. Carrie is dealing with his sexuality and it's very open and frank about the fact that he's not always, you know, very comfortable with it. Uh, but then you have the instigays, for example, who are super comfortable with who they are. Can you talk a little bit about what interests you guys uh, when it comes to telling stories about the very varied experiences of being a, a young gay adult today? I think we were excited because we've I've seen we've seen like a lot of like coming out stories, and um, then we've seen a lot of stories of like gay people who are just like 
done and perfect and confident and um, like unassailable basically. And so we are like, Oh, what's that like messy in between where you've come out of the closet, but you still have residual like self heatiness or being uncomfortable in your own skin. You're still trying to like make up for lost time because you were in the closet longer than you uh, wanted to have been. So we just kind of try to think of basically stories that we hadn't seen before. And, you know, in the writer's room, we talked a lot about like what are really specific weird things you thought or felt or done like in your twenties. And so I don't know. It was just exciting to us to be like, oh, yeah, we in the writer's room, like all of our queer writers, like relate to this thing. And we haven't seen that been talked about or shown yet. Um, so that's we just kind of followed stories that interested us that way. And it's interesting that Carrie's an actor and he almost like even for the cat food or the cat litter commercial where he has to smell a fart, like he has to suppress his sexuality to like butch it up. And that's probably a reality, too. That was interesting to us specifically was telling stories about being queer in the, in like the acting space because we hadn't seen a ton of those. And that's a very different experience from being straight. So we were excited to be able to like explore some of those, like you're saying, some of those um, aspects that haven't quite been touched on before. So there's, you know, a lot of great comedic talent on the show. Drew Tarver and Helene York and Molly Shannon, Kim Marina, Wanda Sykes, the goddess. Is this a set where there's a lot of improvising or is it more of a words on the page environment? We always want to be like fun. We're fun. And say that it's, all the time. it's pretty deeply scripted because the show is so serialized. Like we just, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's like 99% scripted just because it is so serialized. And we're on such a tight schedule. Um, like a lot of there, everyone we listed, you listed is so funny and specifically Ken loves to improvise. And we did feel bad sometimes because we had to be like, yeah, we, we just have to move on because we are about to lose this location and we can't go over. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we shot like a lot of these episodes in four days. So we were really, oh my we were really running. Do you feel a little guilty when you are, have to be like, well, guys, we got to stick to the script? Yeah, sometimes, but then or we'll feel guilty and they'll be like, no, that's okay. We like the script yeah. or that's okay. We understand, we understand how, how acting works. That's fine. Well, but also we like <laughs> cast them way ahead of time. And so we knew the actors socially too. So they just as people and their senses of humor informed the way we wrote it in the first place. Yeah. Plus we also like table read all the scripts way ahead of time. And so after the table reads, sometimes they would improvise something then or have like an idea or a joke that we would put in. And if, if we had time, we would do like a, a fun take. But if we had time. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you had to crack the whip, right? Yeah, yeah. Episode nine is such a great example of the show's, you know, sort of very different styles. Like it's got this incredibly funny and silly premise where Chase's album release party is happening in an airplane that's circling JFK. <laughs> but then there's this very emotional and raw scene with Molly Shannon's character, Pat, and she's revealing the details about her husband's death. And they're very, you know, very sad details and, you know, quite shocking. Chris, you directed that episode. What was the most challenging part of balancing those two tones through that 29, 30 minutes? Well, we shot that episode first. I mean, wow. aside from the pilot, that was the first thing we shot when we were picked <laughs> up to series. And so I think the most challenging thing was just like trusting in our guts that we had like done it right, even the writing, you know what I mean? Because it is right. such a big swing. So to be on set the first day and have Molly Shannon screaming about how her husband's like dick froze to a roof and... She's crying. And so we just really wanted to nail the tone. We really wanted to make sure that that felt earned and sad. And you felt that there was like a death of a human being and a woman was mourning it, but it didn't be turn into like a very special episode, you know, where like a comedy series will be like, this one's a drama. We right. still wanted it to feel funny. 
but funny without like undermining the humanity of it. So it was really just trying to strike the right tone. We edited that scene forever. I mean, we changed like seconds and words and how long we hung on her face or not her face. I mean, we really edited that scene for truly ever to the point where like, I think one time a producer was sitting with us, it was like, not sure what we were quite even changing, <laughs> but like a slight second. And then means they're like, Oh yeah, there we go. There we go. There we go. But it was like to someone else. I think it was like, what are you changing about this? But it really would like, <laughs> we're paying for this. Like one, <laughs> but with, like, but with, like one or two second change, it really would make it too silly or too dramatic. And it's like, okay guys, you're, this is getting too maudlin. So that was the hardest part, I think. And like I said, because we shot it first, trusting that like, this isn't too dramatic for this comedy series, right? Surprising to hear you shot it first because it's really like the whole season is almost building to this moment. Yeah. And to have to like <laughs> yeah. jump in with your actors, you know, before they've played all this other stuff be- besides the pilot and, and say to them, okay, like now you're doing the big reveal, essentially. That's got to be very daunting. I know. I think we didn't even fully like realize the gravity of that, of shooting that episode first in terms of the the character's emotional arcs, because everyone had thought about it. Like we had taught Helena talked to us afterwards about how she had read all the scripts and really tried to like establish her character emotional in that specific episode starting there. And we were like, Oh yeah, that's great that you did that. They were all so good. (laughs) They all felt so dialed in. And then it was nice to know where they kind of landed and then we could work backwards from that. Yeah. But it was but it's definitely a, it was a, an interesting way to start with their character. I know. I remember Drew Tarver <laughs> being so excited that he was finally cast and it was like, like you know, a comedy show. And then he's like, but I spent the first week just sobbing. Is this right? <laughs> um, we like, yeah, yeah, trust us. I think this will be okay. I think this will be okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like a bait and switch. It's a very specific death that Pat's husband has. And I'm wondering how you came to that decision to have him like pass out drunk on the roof and freeze were there other horrible deaths that you had talked about and how'd you choose this one well we knew we wanted the actual reasoning we wanted it to be something like chris was saying like a very like human death a very empathetic death and you know knowing that it was based on alcoholism that is very relatable and something that we can everyone feels you know like they can understand or humanity in, but then we knew we wanted it to not just be the darkness of that. But it also felt like a type of death, I mean, aside from the, like, the the zany part, um, it felt like the type of death that, um, or, like, alcoholism in general, that a family, like, a, a, you know, a quote-unquote good Midwestern family would want to, like, not talk about, or would want to stay with cancer, or would want to keep private, and so that there's just, unfortunately, like, this, like, shame or privacy attached to, like, struggling with, like, alcohol addiction, so, like, not wanting to talk about that in general, like in your small town, and then absolutely not wanting to talk about it, like on a huge celebrity scale. So that was interesting to us. But then kind of like I was saying before, we tried to find a good death that like was real and dramatic, but then had enough comedy elements to it that it didn't feel like a very special episode, but wasn't so funny that it like undermined the... (laughs) The I don't know. It was tricky. We just talk about it a lot in the room until the, it just hit us right. You know, sometimes when you just hear something, you just know that's the answer. Yeah. And then I think in the room, actually, what happened in the show sort of happened in our room where someone pitched this and then someone else was like, actually, I did hear that that happened. That happened to a friend of mine. And someone else was like, oh, yeah, I've heard where we were like, what are you talking about? So like what happens in the show sort of happened in the room. And that's when. And then we started Googling it. Yeah. And it like a couple hundred people. This happens to a year. And we were like, it's enough of a thing that I think this works. <laughs> Yeah. 
Hashtag my dad froze, I guess. I also want to talk, single out a couple of my favorite lines and sort of hear how they came about. Um, first, probably my favorite, I used to be fat, but now I have two nieces. <laughs> like, that's, that's one of the insta gays. Like, tell me, where did that come from? I don't know. Maybe Cole, Cole Cola wrote that line. We basically just went on a bunch of like instigate profiles for um, way too long um, and into the night. Uh, just like <laughs> looking at commonalities between some of these instigates. Like it was so funny. Like I remember there we, we found, found one instigate who really made us laugh who all of his photos were just of his full bare ass. Um, <laughs> and then he was a virgin. <laughs> And so we liked the dichotomy of, like, having a full, like, kind of sexual body presence, but then being like, um, my body is a temple and I'm saving myself, or it's like, what? So we just <laughs> tried to find things that, like, kept coming up. <laughs> and it just feels like so many of those people, those instigates online, feel like they have to have, like, a clear distillation of their yeah, deal yeah. in one profile sentence. Mm-hmm. So we just like the kind of, like, the bluntness of, yeah. like, this is my deal in Five words or less. Yeah, like right. my, my, I get one little line for my bio. So, <laughs> yeah, so what am I? I'm religious, kind of like yeah. <laughs> and uh, another one is it came kind of became sort of a catchphrase, or it went through the season more than once. Um, you know, Brooke will say in this climate. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I know we love. I I think that came out of just like the vibe of Brooke's character. We love her being a feminist and an activist and a progressive, strong, single businesswoman. But then when you like look one level below the surface, you're like, no, you're not. How how is that manifesting? So we like that she just knows this is a line to say that feels applicable and can get her into conversations with people who actually are feminist and progressive. And yeah, that you could like, if you don't know anybody (laughs) or you don't know what people are talking about, but you walk up and say in this climate, people will probably be like, oh yeah, that, that, that's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Don't back it up with any stats or facts or anything. That did kind of work. That's what we were saying. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Hi girl. You know, it is a great juxtaposition because when they do the, the sort of background check on the family and they find out that she's the one that dressed as quote unquote Terry Shivo before for Halloween. Like and then she's the you know, she's it becomes her catchphrase. I found that all the more delicious that it became her sort of catchphrase to be like, oh, in this climate, like she's actually in tune that, to what is. That is that's one of our favorite that jokes. is actually my favorite joke, Terry Shivo before. Because it's so rude and also like what is the cost what is that costume? <laughs> Well, and, and Helene didn't know who Terry Shivo was, right? I think she did it. I don't know. I don't remember. I just remember we were repeatedly told to maybe consider cutting that joke, and we were, and we were like, like, "I'm absolutely oh, sorry." Not. We were like, "We can cut, um, we can cut the role of Chase Dreams, but we're not cutting <laughs> Terry Shivo." <laughs> the network were they asking you nicely? Oh no, no, no. <laughs> I think, no, I I don't think it was like anyone wanting us to cut that joke. I think it's just sometimes like, you know, when you're trying to edit an episode down to 21 minutes and you're still 10 seconds long and then you're like, well, what can we cut? And you're like, that joke isn't story. So that technically you could lose. And we were like, unfortunately, it's part of the bone marrow of the show. (laughs) (laughs) We will never lose Terry Shivo before. Third, this is not a line, but it's, I, I do love the sort of ongoing character of Lance and his shoe designs, like the dry erase shoe and the change yeah. drawer in the heel. I love that character. Uh, were there any other rejected shoe designs you had? And will we see like more shoe designs from him in the future? 
I think early, early, early in the season, he pitched just like shoes that were red, and Brooke was like, "Obviously, those exist." Um, <laughs> but but these ones felt specifically like dynamic to watch or make, and they actually had to make them, which was fun. And then we were like, "Wait, should we patent and sell these? These are not a bad idea." Seeing them in the flesh, but yeah, we love Lance. We love the actor who plays Lance. Josh Figara is so funny and so so great, and brought so much like vulnerability and layeredness to the character. Um, You'll definitely be seeing more of him in the second season, um, although we don't want to say exactly what he'll be up to. What I love about him, he is really funny, but he's also like, even though the other characters kind of see him as this loser, like he seems like the true, the one truly genuinely happy guy <laughs> they know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's funny. I know we talk a lot about that and how about him, him and Chase both are kind of like, we don't put a ton of stock in them, but they're also just the the moral compasses of the show or something. Yeah. Like we trust in them to do right and do good. And they are the nicest, like to a fault. So we like that that came through in them. So Case Walker, the musically star who plays uh, Chase Dreams, he was 14 when he auditioned and I think he's 16 now. Has he grown like a foot since last season? Yeah, yeah. we're furious pretty, at him. Pretty, pretty rough. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, like, what? how do you deal with that in the show? That he, Like, is his voice changing? What's happening? Um, I think our decision has been to um, ignore it. <laughs> it has been to be like, that's TV, folks. I, yeah, we don't know. <laughs> He's definitely, like, a young man, though. So yeah. be prepared. <laughs> it makes sense with the character, too. And I always wonder if you have to, like, explain references to him on the show, like, because he's so young, or... Was he trying to explain things to you that you didn't understand? Oh, yeah, we definitely yeah, but... he'll, he'll say that. Like, he doesn't know a lot of the people that we reference on the show, like a lot of, like, Housewives and reality stars and things like that. But then, I mean, that's, like, our favorite game to play with him, where we'll say someone famous to us, and he'll be like, I didn't know that person was alive. <laughs> and then he'll say some famous person to him, and we didn't know that person was alive. So um, there's almost no overlap. <laughs> <laughs> The only people that we both know are each other. Are the cast. Yeah. <laughs> the only actor the only actor we all know is Drew Tarver. <laughs> the season ended with uh, Chase deciding he wanted to go to college because he, of course, had graduated high school on Streeter's phone. What can you tease about the new season? And are, are you guys in production now or when does that happen? We're writing it now. So I think we're in production like this fall. I'm not really sure. It's like a little TBD. We're in the middle of still writing, but yeah. But yeah, we'll be set up at the end of the last season. We definitely like start in on that with this season with Molly having her own talk show. We kind of explore that new dynamic within the family and Chase is in school and exploring how that has changed, especially Brooke, who was, who had just <laughs> right at the end there become his manager. So yeah, well, we kind of pick up where we left off and, we wrote ourselves into a little bit of a corner, so we're we're figuring that out as we go. Um, yeah, but it's basically like if, if a new person in your family is famous, like how does the how do they how are they now the other two in a different way? Like how how do the family dynamics change when like not just Chase is uh, famous, but now it's the mom? So yeah, and I love the fact that Molly's or you know Pat's on her meltdown on the plane opened up a whole new career for her. That seems <laughs> yeah. seems more in keeping with what she might really enjoy as opposed to like children's books and 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 jewelry yeah yeah we like the idea that just a moment of true authenticity the world was like that that is what we recognize that we want that because everything is so curated and everything is so cultivated and distilled 
And so yeah. people saw her be honest and open and real, and they were like, we want to see more from her. Yeah, we, I mean, we <laughs> talked about that with the character of Carrie, too, where he's constantly wondering why things aren't working for him. And, you know, obviously people become famous or successful at different times in their life for different reasons. And sometimes it doesn't, you can follow all the rules and it'll never happen for you. But Carrie is trying so hard to figure out who he is and find his authentic self. And should I be this? And should I be that? It's not working. And we like that on the plane. Pat accidentally had just a real human authentic. You could see who she was, what she wanted, right. how she was feeling. She didn't think about it at all. She was just herself and it worked immediately for her. <laughs> that's not twice that's happened in his family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so hopefully that will, he will follow that, uh, follow that advice. Although it's yeah. also funny to watch him not follow that advice. So, yeah. well, I really appreciate <laughs> yeah. you guys getting on the phone, taking time out of the writer's room. So congrats again on the first season. And I really look forward to seeing more in season two. Awesome. Thanks for talking to us. Always a pleasure. That'll do it for this week's episode of The Awardist. If you like what you hear, give us a rating and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Radio.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you don't like it or just want to talk TV, tweet at us. I'm at Kristen G. Baldwin, and my partners are at Lynette Rice and at Henry Goldblatt. Let us know what you think and join us again next week.